Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, American parents are fed up with schools undermining their authority. Virginia's Governor Glenn Yonkin is leading the way in pushing back. They've been pushing policies on children without the guardian or parent's knowledge at all. The medical establishment is also targeting our young people. We need an investigation into Vanderbilt putting profits ahead of children. We'll look at Banned Books Week. The ALA has decided to shift its focus towards protecting and promoting sexually explicit material to children. And that's what Banned Books Week has become. And the broader trend from public school libraries. The agenda being presented by so many of these libraries is just an absolutely unvarnished embrace of the progressivist agenda. All this and more, I'm Gino Geraci, your host this week, coming to you from my home station, 94.7 FM, The Word in Denver, where I host Crosswalk with Gino Geraci each weekday afternoon. You can hear my own program on 94.7 FM and 94.7 FM, the word.com. Take a moment to follow Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. Great to be with you. We'll begin in Virginia and the issue of public education. Many of you remember Glenn Yonkin, governor of Virginia, was elected in an upset victory in November last year. He won in no small part as part of the outcry over public education, where his opponent, Terry McAuliffe, essentially told parents to stay out of it. The parents had to write to veto bills, veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledgeable about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So... Yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Now Governor Yonkin is trying to follow through on his promise and create a policy in public education that reflects his promises over the course of the campaign. Elite media is trying to make it controversial. Don Crow, my colleague on WAVA 105.1 FM in the nation's capital, turned to Mary Vote of Vote Strategies. If you would tell us what this new document provided by the administration really does spell out and why it's so welcome. Yes, I will. Thank you. So the proposal by Governor Glenn Youngkin, it, is, it really is common sense policy. There's absolutely nothing controversial about it. Basically, it says that parents, those responsible legally for their children, are the ones that should be making critical decisions regarding their child's education and upbringing. Nothing about that is controversial. The previous policy under Governor Ralph Northam said that guidance counselors, teachers, they could help a child, we're talking about minors here, pursue a different gender without the knowledge of their parent or legal guardian. That's the current policy that's in place. So Youngkin is saying, no, we need to honor parental involvement. We need to reaffirm the role of parents as those that are primarily responsible for their children, for their children's education, care, upbringing. And all of this, by the way, is completely, it complies with federal law. So there's nothing controversial about it. It's basic parental rights and it allows the parents to decide what's best for their children. Actually, a couple of quotes that you cite, schools shall defer to parents to make the best yes. decisions with respect to their children, 
and schools shall keep parents informed about their children's well-being. Those are two elements that have been run over roughshod over the last few years without parents even uh, knowing about it, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. We have seen teachers and counselors that are supposed to have the best interest of students at heart working against parents. They've been pushing policies on children without the guardian or parent's knowledge at all. And so what Youngkin is saying is that that's wrong. We Parents need to have a say. They need to work together with the teachers and the counselors, but they need to have a say of this knowledge. I mean, we know that Youngkin was propelled to this position because of the parents' rights movement. And that wasn't just Republicans and conservatives. That was Democrats and moderates that were upset because they were continually told that their opinion didn't matter and that we should just let the state and bureaucrats and teachers union make decisions for our children. And they said no, and they crossed party lines, and they voted for him because they wanted to have a say in their parents' life. Like you and I, Don, we believe we're held accountable to God for how we raise our children. We take that very seriously. Voters in Virginia, parents in Virginia, religious or not, want to have that say and determine what's best for their kids when it comes to education and these very heavy-weighted medical decisions. Uh, One more quick point uh, to have you comment on, and that is uh, this is not something that's grassroots coming up from the bottom, this uh, desire to have a pronoun used other than a name and so forth. seems to me a lot of this has been inculcated from the top down, uh, whether it's out of our universities and certainly out of our teachers and so forth. It really is not something most kids, I don't think, uh, have been wrestling with, perhaps a few initially. But uh, would you agree that this is sort of something, a, a an aberration being sewn into the educational process? Absolutely. This is an agenda that's being pushed by one side. I mean, this isn't something that comes yep. into a child's mind. Their brains are still not fully developed, and they may be struggling with certain aspects of adolescence. But the idea of going and having these medical procedures where parts of their bodies are chopped off and their body is, you know, pumped full of these um, hormones and things, it's not something they come to on their own. It's being pushed on them from teachers and counselors. And those adults are the ones that are supposed to have the best interest of these children at heart. And so parents, we know, I know my two girls better than anyone else. And you better believe I'm going to stand up and do whatever I can to defend them and speak for them. And that's what other parents need to do. And that is what Glenn Duncan is doing. He campaigned on this. He's fulfilling the promise. He's putting forward a very common sense proposal. It's something that all parents should support and be happy about. There's no question about it. The public educational establishment has been an active participant in facilitating the shift in gender identity for youngsters who are struggling And the medical establishment has been more than happy to go right along as well. Their motive? Profit. A recently released clip from Vanderbilt University Medical Center made it clear for us. Starting in January 1st of 2017, according to the Affordable Care Act, insurance cover carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. Some of our BUMC financial folks put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Um, So female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. Here's Bob Burney, my colleague, on the word 880 AM in Columbus. Taking minors and robbing them of their youth 
by pumping them full of hormones, puberty suppressants, and even surgical mutilation of minors. There are facilities around the country that are providing puberty blockers for little children. Why? Because a eight-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old says, well, I'm supposed to be a boy, but I really believe I'm a girl. Here's the latest in this. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn and Tennessee Governor Bill Lee are calling for a full-blown investigation into the Vanderbilt University Medical Center following allegations that they are performing body mutilating surgeries on teenagers who are suffering from gender dysphoria. Now, again, most of you know there is no scientific evidence for what is being called transgenderism. It doesn't exist except in the imaginations of much of the medical community. It's gender dysphoria. And the treatment for gender dysphoria is therapy, not puberty blockers, and certainly not surgery. But Senator Marsha Blackburn and Tennessee Governor Bill Lee are saying that Vanderbilt University Medical Center is actually providing to youth puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and by the way, that can lead to sterilization, Both of them are saying that they are absolutely shocked as they have found out what's going on at Vanderbilt. Marsha Blackburn wrote, We would hope that Vanderbilt Medical Center would make better decisions. There is nothing healthy about mutilating the bodies of minor children. We need an investigation into Vanderbilt, putting profits ahead of children, and it must happen Immediately, the uh, governor of Tennessee said, quote, we should not allow permanent life altering decisions that hurt children or policies that suppress religious liberties all for the purpose of financial gain. We have to protect Tennessee children. And this warrants a thorough investigation. Vanderbilt has deleted much of what they had on their webpage. Isn't that interesting? The part that was deleted advertised their Children's Hospital Pediatric Transgender Clinic providing, quote, gender-affirming hormone therapy and puberty blocking. That's what was on their website. It is now gone. They were also promoting what they call trans buddies. Now, what are trans buddies? These are trans activists, usually adults, who are claiming to be transgender. And there were, are being assigned to children who are questioning their sexuality and their gender. They are being assigned a trans buddy. Someone who themselves is confused psychologically about their gender. I would hope 
that because we have a U.S. senator and the governor of the state of Tennessee, I would hope there will be a full-blown investigation. We must pray that the medical community in America will finally wake up and realize they're following a path that is not only non-scientific, it is denying settled science and has been proven to be horribly destructive of children. Coming up, Banned Books Week. The ALA has decided to shift its focus towards protecting and promoting sexually explicit material to children. And that's what Banned Books Week has become. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment, stay with us. It hasn't always been this way. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, We've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics, and to test them quantitatively, requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Gino Geraci. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Banned Books Week. This year's celebration just ended. And if you're skeptical about their agenda, your skepticism is well-grounded. Kevin McCullough turned to author, columnist, and homeschool mom, Bethany Mandel, from AM570, The Mission in New York City. Banned Book Week, how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So the American Library Association has been tracking uh, for a number of years the books that people bring an objection to in their local libraries. And, you know, 10 years ago, the books were kind of, you know, Captain Underpants and sort of books that had potty humor, silliness. Um, I, I personally, you know, I found most of the books that people objected to about 10 years ago to, to be non-objectionable. Um, that changed. Uh, the number one book at the, the top of the banned books list for the last several years is a book called George. Um, they've retitled it since now. It's called Melissa, and it's by a writer named Alex Gino, who goes by they, them pronouns. And so I think you know where this is going. Oh, man. And it's, it's a book basically promoting the idea of, of tr- gender transition to, to children and to middle schoolers. Um, it, it is marketed for middle grade children. And so that's ages probably like third grade to sixth. And it makes taking hormones sound like taking antibiotics and it cures you. And it's very easy and it's very simple. And all you need is your parents' permission. And I'm, I'm basically paraphrasing because I've read this book. Um, but it's all part of a push to uh, introduce sexuality and introduce age inappropriate topics to children too soon. And if you look at the list of banned books now that the ALA is so desperately trying to protect, the books are explicit and they are inappropriate and they are not the Captain Underpants of 10 years ago. That's for sure. They, they're the kind of books, actually, that when parents tried to read from them uh, at local school board meetings, the school board shut them down and, and had them dragged out of the school board meetings. Yeah, yeah, and and the same when you show images. There's another book that's been at the top of the list called Gender Queer, and uh, it's a graphic novel. That sounds harmless. 
it's graphic, let me tell you. Uh, there's the imagery of, of sex acts between children. Uh, there are images of adults laying in bed with children in sexual positions. I mean, it's just, it's, the ALA has, has decided to shift its focus towards protecting and promoting sexually explicit material to children. And that's what Banned Books Week has become. And and how do they how do they pull this out? Do they go into the schools? Do they go into the libraries and set up displays? What's the what's the strategy for the librarians to sort of promote this? Yeah. So uh, there's so during Band Books Week they'll they'll create promo tables and so they'll say um, these are the books that we're highlighting this month. Uh, they basically use all the same books as they used in June during Pride Month. They <laughs> just you know same display. Um, Just change the, and, the label on the table. It's banned books yeah, instead yeah, of not, pride. Yeah, exactly. It's not as many rainbows. Um, but I mean, it's it's basically the same idea. They're they're sort of pushing this into the hands of kids. I have a friend uh, here where I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, and she told me that her daughter has pretty much only come home with these books from the school library. And she's talked to the librarian and said, "I'm not comfortable with my child reading these books." And the librarian has just been like, I don't really care because they think that our children are, you know, the collective's children. They are society's children and, you know, they need to be educated and and who cares what parents think about it. Over at the Los Angeles Times, they're also concerned about banned books. Albert Moeller took a closer look in his briefing podcast. The editorial columnist Therefore the Times tells us, quote, it doesn't take long to read the most banned book in America, an award-winning memoir in graphic novel form called Gender Queer by Maya Kubabi. It's about the illustrator's years-long quest to unravel what it means to be gender non-binary, that is, to feel neither female nor male, end quote. Now, just notice this is an opinion piece, so that's fair. A lot of opinion being expressed here, but notice the form of the opinion, It's the most banned book in America. Again, it's not banned. And then it's described as an award-winning memoir. Well, what awards exactly are we talking about here? The local school superintendent here in Louisville, Marty Polio, had refused to pull the book from the school library shelves. And according to the Courier-Journal, the superintendent, in rejecting the request, said that genderqueer doesn't meet the law's definition of obscene material. This is the Courier-Journal report. And quote, disagreed with her assertion, that is the lawyer's assertion, that the book depicts a prurient interest in sexual conduct or is patently offensive. Instead, quote, pointing to multiple literary awards, including one focused on young adults, Polio wrote the extensive literary value of the work makes it clear that it is not obscene material, end quote. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, here you have the school superintendent of a major public school system in the United States, like so many others in similar positions, basically arguing that the book should be on the shelves because in the superintendent's view, having won multiple literary awards, again, just understand where those awards come from, the book demonstrated, quote, extensive literary value that he said makes it clear that it is not obscene material, end quote. Now, just notice something here. That means that no matter how sexually explicit or obscene materials in a book might be, if in the view of the powers that be, such a work has some kind of overwhelmingly redeeming literary value, it can continue to be available to children and teenagers. And yes, you may be wondering, while you're talking about this kind of redeeming literary value, 
Who's deciding that? And again, what exactly does it mean? Well, the head of the library services for the local school district said that literary value is, according to the paper, quote, when people gain something from a book, end quote. Well, just think about that. When people gain something from a book, from what book could someone gain nothing? That is a definition that would exclude no book at any time for any reason for any reader. There are so many issues that I hope we can talk about in coming days, but I just want to affirm to Christian parents that one of your most important responsibilities is to guide and protect your own children and teenagers in the process of reading. Don't apologize for that. That is one of the reasons God put you here on planet Earth, and it is one of your responsibilities. And the other thing that Christians understand is that there is a morality of knowledge issue we always have to keep before us. Interestingly, I mentioned this yesterday related to nuclear weapons. Once humanity comes up with something like the knowledge of how to build a nuclear bomb, then we face the morality of that knowledge and the fact that you can never not know it. Just understand that at least a part of how the progressivist agenda is winning is because that the more they put these images and messages and entertainment narratives before people, the more they are accepted because they become normalized and Christians and others become desensitized. And so when someone says to you, look, I'm a professional, trust me. Look, I've been trained in this particular discipline. Trust me. Let me tell you what your children should watch. Let me tell you what your children should learn. Let me tell you what your children should read. Just understand that when you hear that argument, your defenses should go sky high. But it also reminds us that when you look at so many of these libraries, they have been considered for so long to be safe places, surely, where there might be a disagreement over policies, book by book, there might be different worldviews presented. But now we just have to understand that the agenda being presented by so many of these libraries is just an absolutely unvarnished embrace of the progressivist agenda. As you go into those libraries, that is something you had better understand. And if that's true for you, How much more so is it true for your children? Coming up. We have a conscious group of individuals that are poisoning our kids in our country, literally poisoning them. Our drug crisis with fentanyl at the top of the list. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Gino Geraci. Our nation's drug crisis is fueling the homelessness you're seeing today. And of course, the problem is catastrophic in Denver. Fentanyl is the drug that is literally killing people today, and our young people are being targeted. James Capra is a former DEA agent now leading the Frontline Leadership Group. He was a guest on my program. More than half of Americans seem to blame migrants or the failed border policies. Other people blame something else that's going on in our culture and our society. I just wanted your take on what you see happening right now. 
Yeah, well, you know what? If if you go back, you know, I served with the with the DEA for almost thirty years throughout my entire tenure. That's pretty much been the pull. We blame it on one thing, blame it on another, blame it on the user, blame it on the inability to you know to protect our sovereign country. And and there's there's enough blame to go all the way around. Right. And and part of it has to do with how we're looking at the drug culture today, how we look from a legislative standpoint. You know, we've decided in a lot of areas that we're just going to we're going to legalize certain substances that were considered and have been illegal and, by the way, extremely harmful. Right. And so anytime in the last few years, anytime the decrease, I mean, you get a decrease in harm. If you, in other words, your perception of harm decreases. Use and abuse always go up, always historically go up. So when and, and remember that drugs in general, illegal, they're all targeted to who a younger population. And so now we're faced with this fentanyl crisis, which fentanyl's been around for a long, long time. And what's happening right now is my good friend Derek Maltz, who is Derek and I work together. He's been traveling around speaking about it. He says, what we have today is we literally have, we don't have just accidental overdoses. We have a conscious group of individuals that are poisoning our kids in our country, literally poisoning them wow. um, by supplying a counterfeit drug. So you got kids getting online trying to score something like a Xanax or a Percocet or something like that. They're getting it from Mexico. The problem is fentanyl, which is literally used as an um, anesthetic and a pain reliever and has been around for a long time. It's put together in micrograms. So if you think of a sharpened pencil mm-hmm. and the tip of that pencil, and you just put a little bit of fentanyl on the tip of that pencil just to cover the tip, that's enough to kill you. That's wow. absolutely enough to kill you. And so what we have is we have the fentanyl being produced in China, the Chinese organized crime dealing with cartels. They're shipping them either the fentanyl or the precursors to make the fentanyl. In Mexico, they're putting it together, and then they advertise as all these counterfeit drugs. And and that's what we're seeing a lot of. Then we have wholesale distribution of fentanyl in the country. So it's coming across the border and being sold in, in either pills or packet or, again, counterfeit substances and we're we're we've now I think we're up to a hundred and ten thousand people that we lose a year to drug overdoses. Sixty yeah. percent of that is from fentanyl. I was looking at the C D C stats and again I don't know how accurate it is, but they reported 150 people dying each day from opioid related overdoses. Which yeah. doesn't seem I, I'm wondering if that's exaggerated or if it's even underreported. I'll tell you, in all my years, I'm always careful. You really, you have to be careful what's being thrown out out there. Some of it is is purposeful, and and others is just maybe mistakenly. You know, but it, but we're we're up to, uh, and I don't know what you, when you start doing the math on what 110,000 people, you divide that up how many days. But you do have to be careful. But we are. I mean, we we're losing kids and young people like rain just dropping like raindrops, which is just out of control. So first of all, the internet has provided the ability to get these counterfeit drugs, which are laced or are just fentanyl. So that's number one. Number two, to be quite honest with you, brother, we have, and I'm not playing politics. I've just been, I've served the country since I'm 18 years old Mm -hmm. and three different military outfits and almost 30 years with, with DEA. And we have a government that's kind of thrown their hands up and said, well, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. And that sounds terrible. But I will tell you, we've decided from a legislative standpoint that I'm not sure we can do anything about this, which is totally wrong, which we can do. We have the ability, both 
you know, as a government applying pressure on China, applying more pressure on Mexico and all those other things. So we can't sit back and do nothing and go, gosh, we got a crisis. That's all you'll see on TV. Gosh, we got a crisis. And my question is, as a former narc, you know, as a guy that, that was on the line with other men and women, is what, what do you mean that's it? What, what, isn't there more to do? Like, you know, th- there has to be more that we can get done. And, and we've decided that messaging about drug abuse is, is not worth it. It doesn't work. We decided these things. We just said, and we, we decided, well, we're going to keep legalizing other substances like marijuana, psilocybic mushrooms. So as long as you keep going down that road, as long as you keep within our culture saying these things are acceptable, and you know as well as I do, the, the more things are acceptable, then they become morally okay. And, and we, we shake our heads and say, why are we losing people? Well, because they don't think there's a big harm to things. Coming up, our hope. The kingdom of God is existing right now. It's just gone underground. Robert Jeffers, when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics, and to test them quantitatively, requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Gino Geraci, host of Crosswalk on 94.7 FM, The Word in Denver. On my program here in Denver, I'm trying to give my listeners hope each and every day. Given all that's happening in our world today, hope is what we need. Robert Jeffers has made gospel hope his life mission as well. His latest book is 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. The voice of Pathway to Victory, join Don Crow on WAVA in Washington, D.C. Why is some straight talk so so essential right now? Well, it's because, Don, we have so many voices yelling at us, telling us this is the way to go. And, uh, you know, nothing is different, really, than Jesus' day. Uh, there was uh, 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 erroneous and false teaching that uh, came from the value system of the day, the Greek and Roman value system. The religious leaders were leading people astray, the Pharisees in their way, and Jesus uh, taught people uh, life from God's point of view about what Jesus really had to say about the important issues of our life. And I think it's time for us to quit listening to uh, religious people, to the world's value system, and see what the Lord himself had to say about these things that matter most to us. You say Sermon on the Mount, 18 minutes or less, you can read it it, uh, in its entirety. It's a powerful portion of scripture, but I suspect there are a lot of misconceptions about it. What are some of those? Well, I'm, I'm going to admit something. I have never preached a series on the on the map since I wrote this book. I'd avoided it. Uh, you know, some people see the Sermon on the Mount as a checklist for what you have to do to get yeah. in heaven, and nobody needs another checklist right now. But other people, like myself, grew up in a tradition. I went to a seminary that taught the Sermon on the Mount has no application for today. It's only about uh, life in the millennium or in heaven. And I thought, well, then why should I? bothered to read about it now. 
But right. then what I saw was studying this. No, this is talk from the Savior about right now how to live. It's counterintuitive. You know, the world says crush your enemies. Uh, Jesus says love your enemies. Uh, the world says, you know, there is no morality. Just do what you want to do. And, and Jesus says immorality doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts in the mind. He is completely countercultural in what he says, and uh, it's radical what he has to say, but it's words we need to have right now. Now, you've already touched in part on this next question I wanted to ask you, but you've already acknowledged you studied the Scripture, have done so for decades, and at one of the best uh, theological institutions in the world. Uh, we all know about Dallas Theological. It's got world fame. Uh, but uh, you're saying you found some surprises as you started looking into this portion of Scripture, which you've already said kind of was shoved off to one side. It's not really relevant for today. Well, that's right. And, you know, what I came to discover, and I really uh, benefited from Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, and his teaching on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, there's certainly a literal kingdom that's coming one day. I believe that, the millennium. But the kingdom of God uh, is existing right now. It's just gone underground. It's in the hearts and minds of those who live their life under the rule of Jesus Christ. And here's the point, Don, when we live according to Christ's rule in our life, we can experience the benefits of the kingdom of God right now. There's a supernatural peace. There's a blessing that comes from responding like Jesus said to respond to our enemies or not storing up treasure for ourselves on heaven or spending time in prayer. You don't get the payoff in the next life. You get the payoff right now. There are folks who say, even as Christians, they say, look, my life is so full of pain and difficulty right now, I don't understand how I as a Christian are, uh, am supposed to be able to live a joy-filled life when everything about me has just gone south, so to speak. How do you respond to that? Well, I say, you know, when we look at these Beatitudes, which is really the opening uh, statement of Jesus in the in the Sermon on the Mount, he's really talking about the payoff, the blessings mm. that come mm. from those who live under God's approval. And that word translated blessed, makairos, it can mean happy, but that really doesn't capture the meaning of it. Uh, it means literally approved, approved uh, of God. Yeah. And the blessing comes sometimes in this life, but for certain in the next life. You know, I tell people, uh, Don, if you uh, you know, were living uh, just hand to mouth and didn't know how you were going to make your rent and how you were going to feed your family, but you also knew that your uncle had left you in his will uh, for $10 million, and furthermore, he was 99 years old, would that change your outlook (laughs) on your current circumstances? I mean, it wouldn't pay the bills right now, but it would certainly give you hope that in time, in soon time, things were going to get better. And I think that's the joy we have. God does give us enough to get by right now, but we know there's a bigger payoff coming. This is much more than a moral checklist, this Sermon on the Mount and all these statements that Christ made. Elaborate on that. Well, again, Jesus talked about the Pharisees who tied heavy loads on the back yeah. of the people so they couldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's not a checklist of what you can do before you're saved. It's by grace and grace alone. But there are plenty of things we're supposed to do after we're saved. And probably one of the most relevant chapters in my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, is chapter 2 about straight talk about your faith and how it should intersect with the culture. And I talk about that passage where 
where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt was a preservative. It didn't prevent the decay of meat, but it delayed the decay of meat. It gave meat a longer shelf life. And Jesus said, we're to be engaged with the culture. We're salt. And guess what, Don? Salt doesn't do any good while it's still in the shaker. You've got to get it out of the shaker to penetrate the meat to be able to preserve the meat. And this is the rationale for Christians getting involved in the culture if we're going to be obedient disciples of Christ. You also have a phrase, you cannot or you can't worry your way to wealth. What do you mean by that? You know, uh, Jesus has a whole section about the relationship between money and anxiety. Uh, People are anxious right now with inflation, with interest rates going up, the stock market going down. And Jesus has a word about that. He said, don't worry about money. Look at the birds of the air. They don't stay up at night trying to balance their checkbook. (laughs) I mean, they have plenty of provision from their Heavenly Father. Won't your Heavenly Father do the same for you? And he gives some great advice. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth destroys and rust and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, there are only really three things that can happen to your money, and none of them is really good. And it can either be stolen from you, you can lose it, or you end up leaving it all behind. But one day you are going to be separated from your money. Coming up, the election is coming. You need to think of voting as part of your Christian stewardship. When we return for the final segment of The Christian Outlook, stay with us. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Gino Geraci. Robert Jeffers, in our last segment, challenged us to be salt in our culture. Salt, we know, is a preservative. To preserve a country or a culture, we must engage with it. And of course, we as Christians must make our voices heard by voting, not just voting, but voting our values. Steve Fiesel is the author of Voting Christian Values, Reclaiming Our Moral Heritage. He joined Bob Burney on the word 880 AM in Columbus. What prompted you to write Voting Christian Values? I need to get some way in which I can do a part and motivating Christians to realize that uh, you need to think of voting as part of your Christian stewardship because you have a chance to vote and to put your Christian uh, values into the ballot box to help get leaders that are at least sympathetic and will give ear to Christian and evangelical concepts into policy. They let us sit at the table of policy where the other party liberals won't even let us in the building. What you have just said would identify you as a Christian nationalist by many people. How how do you respond to this whole thing that if you want to be if you want to be involved in politics and you really believe the original intent of our founding fathers and that God has a part in all of this, that you are a Christian nationalist and there are few things worse than being a Christian nationalist. How do you respond to that? Well, I would have to say that the founding fathers then were Christian nationalists. And and I resent the fact that the left can just say, hey, we can pick up a label and we can pull that label out and we can throw it onto any group that we don't like. That is actually one of the 
point that you'll find in Saul Lindsay's rules for radicals that he suggests that they do. And so basically, uh, I just say, well, some people say, well, religion and politics don't mix. Well, when you look at the Declaration of Independence, and they said that our rights come, they're inalienable rights that come from God the Creator. They fought a war. They put their lives on the line believing that we have rights that come from God, not from the crown, not from government, and we're willing to die to establish a new nation where those rights will be recognized because they come from God. At the same time, shouldn't we have some non-negotiables? Here's how I vote. I don't vote for the person. I vote for the party who is has the values that come the closest to the original sin of the founding fathers. So you need to be thinking more, what party do you want in control, not so much the person. That wraps up this edition of the Christian Outlook. If you enjoyed our program, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, and never miss these and other great conversations. Start at ChristianOutlook.com. Thanks for joining us today. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pichon, Mike Cook, and James Nichols, I'm Gino Geraci. Join us next time for the Christian Outlook. Today's Fort Lauderdale forecast, beautiful, especially for your business. Hear growth opportunities in tech, life sciences, aviation, financial services, and corporate headquarters are as great as the weather. Plus, you'll be relocating to one of the top business climates in the country with a population of over 6 million people, along with fast and easy access to 10 airports offering over 2,000 daily flights, putting four continents within reach in a single day. Oh, and let's not forget zero state income tax. In short, there's no place under the sun better for you and your business. And speaking of the sun, you'll be enjoying more of it with our 23 miles of smooth white sand beaches and an average daily temperature of 76 degrees. To get more information on why you should make your move, contact the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance at lesstaxing.com. Because life in Greater Fort Lauderdale truly is life less taxing.